Hey, this is Karen, Coach's Corner Chats, and joining me is Nate Hauser. Nate, where are you at and what are you up to? Let's see. Currently, I'm in uh, Baldwin City, Kansas. I am enjoying my first uh, six months of a new role as Vice President of Enrollment Advancement and my first stint ever as an assistant coach. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. What has this first six months been? Let's first talk about the vice president. What what does that role look like and what has that learning process been for you? So uh, this new role, I'm the head of alumni relations and also fundraising for Baker University. And I'd had some experience. Uh, we did some fundraising. We, we, we got a new turf field. We just built an, a new turf, soccer, baseball, and softball uh, complex right so i finally built the soccer field and then got a promotion before i could coach on it uh but had some success and you know our president asked if i would uh if i'd accept the challenge of, of stepping up into this role i was previously the athletic director and i said you know what boss if if you think this is the best thing you know i'm i'm gonna do it so here i am what are some of the things you think they saw in you that they said, hey, Nate would be a great fit for this position? I think first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a Baker grad. I graduated in 94. Uh, so I have a, an intimate love of the of the university. Um, I, I know the cast of characters that, that's around. And, you know, I think I'm fortunate I have a, a pretty good ability to speak with people. I'm, I'm pretty decent one-on-one. Um, my... Uh, my previous AD, uh, you know, recruiting was never our issue. I, I, I can I can get people to the show. And so I think that's gone into uh, more of my professional life, you know, when I, whether it's being an executive director of a youth club or anything like that. Uh, she, she said, you know what, I think you're going to be right for this. So how has it been? Have you did you like the athletic director position better or do you like this position or too early to tell or love them both? Well, I, I'll tell you, I love the athletic director position. I, I felt that that was a, a job I could have for life. You know, when, when you kind of think of your career path, you're like, you know what? An athletic director can really affect a lot of things and, and make a lot of difference. Um, love that. This one, I'm, it's growing on me, right? I, I, I'll, I'm honest, and I told the, the president this. I said, you know, at first I felt a little bit like a fish out of water because I'm used to results right away, right? I train this week. I'm going to get a result, you know are we, are we doing well or not? And on my first big visit, went and asked for a big six figure gift. And, you know, you wait a week, two weeks, three weeks until that comes in. You're like, Oh my God, <laughs> I tell you my gray hairs, my, you know, my wife was <laughs> having a laugh at me. I'm like, this, but it's, it's, it's growing on me, right? The, the conversations in the different cadence, it's, it's good. It's good. So then to the soccer side, assistant coaching, what was that experience? You said first time being an assistant coach, like what did you expect going in and did, was it completely a new learning opportunity like what you're doing now? Oh, it, did I lose you? Where, oh, no. Sorry. Oh, um, so I have never been uh, an assistant. I got the head coaching job uh, for Baker's women's team in 2003 and then took over the men 2008 after my playing career. And so I handed the, the job off basically to my, one of my assistants. And he's like, hey, will you stay on and help? And I said, yeah, you know, and 
trying to do a good job of stepping back and, and letting it be his voice. Um, it's been tough though, right? Because you know what? I'm I'm a good soldier. He says this is what we're gonna do, this is what we do. I did a lot of the defensive training organization a little bit. And our first game, I didn't go on the first road trip. I just because of my new role, I've got to I just do home games. First game, the uh our our TV broadcast guy goes, Hey, how long do you think till coach gets in trouble? Like yeah, every once in a while I'll have a word with referees. And, the, and our assistant or SID said, ah, he won't, he won't get a yellow today. And I think I got one 30 seconds later. I'm sitting on a water cooler, and I'm like, what are we doing? The referee's like, you shut up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not the boss. I can't talk anymore. So other than that, it's been great. It's been great. You mentioned the, the playing days. When did Nate start the love of soccer? Oh, uh I was really fortunate. I started at four, four years old. We moved to, uh, I'm from San Diego, California. My parents moved to a, a small town at that time called Poway, uh, North San Diego. And we drove by uh, soccer tryouts and, or a league that was starting. And my dad was like, hey, do you want to try that? And I was like, yeah, like, let's go play. Got in, I played for a year. Then my dad, who might be the greatest soccer genius I know, took over the team he started watching soccer made in Germany and figures out, you know, that he called it his horseshoe defense, but really it was his 1978 and he's playing with a flat back four or anybody else's without a sweeper. Cause he's like, well, this just seems like the best way to play and played rack until I was about eight years old. And then there was a competitive team. In Poway, we were Rancho Bernardo Hornets, and in two years, we were in the Southern California State Cup final. Uh, and then he coached us again. We got to another final at U14, and that's when the Nomads started to come in and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, he stopped, played in high school. Um, we had I've been really fortunate, the, the people I've been around. We won a CIF championship there, and then – had opportunities to walk on. And, and as I'm going through that process, I was, I've always, I was always a guy who was in a second team. And so, but our first team at, for instance, North Huntington beach, when I was going through the, the process, our first team is uh, Jorge Salcedo, uh, Eddie Soto, um, Cam Rast, uh, Joe Max Moore, Danny Barber, guys like that. And so, right. There were the, I wasn't that good. And then we're going out and playing our club games. We had a big tournament, you know, and my coach goes, there was a kid that was playing for a club named Fram Culver named Kobe Jones. He's like, you got to mark Kobe Jones, right? <laughs> like, little do I know, like, this uber fast kid is going to be a, be fantastic. Um, so went through that, and a guy named Roger Wyatt really gave me my opportunity with North Huntington Beach. And you know, was somebody who pushed and helped me get on the uh, the state team and the regional team out in Region Four, and still I just got chances to walk on for for colleges, um, San Diego, UCSD, um, and I was set to to go to San Jose State because I was like I I'm not going to pay, you know, like we couldn't afford to to walk on, so I took a scholarship, and then a little school named Baker um, reached out to me. And what's crazy is Baker has a incredible football lineage, right? So we have a uh, we have a our 
coach, most famous coach, is in the College Football Hall of Fame, Charlie Richard, like the, the regular one. And right now our most famous alum, Mike McCarthy, coaches the Dallas Cowboys. And so they had a recruiter whose son and daughter went to my high school. A guy named Sean Holmes, who coached at Drake for for a long time and took them to a final eight, was at Baker, flew out, watched us, brought five of us back. Of the five guys, four of them went to UCSD and or no, University of San Diego and ended up playing in that final against Virginia in 1993. Like half of my high school teams playing on that team. And I came to Baker because I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I was a guy who was uh, 17 when I started college. My parents just sent me to school in October. Right. So I was like a late, late bloomer. So I wasn't ready for that level. I ended up growing three inches after my freshman year. So I went from six feet to six, three. Um, I became, I went and then uh, I did a shooting camp. There was Robbie Stahl and Michelle Akers had Akers Stahl, Robbie Stahl shooting post to post, went and did a camp there, came back my junior year, went from scoring 15 goals to 31, was an all American back when they had uh the Olympic festival, I got picked for the Midwest Olymp Midwest team. So from this little school, there were two of us that went on my team are Kerry Zavognin and uh, Jeff Kassar, right? And Jeff Kassar was the first guy I ever saw throw like a fastball over midfield as a goalkeeper, right? And Kerry's a junior national team kid running around looking at me like, where are you from? <laughs> and had done that. Um, and then came back for my senior year and then got drafted. You know, this was 93. So before the MLS, I got drafted by the Wichita Wings and then got traded that day to the Kansas City Attack slash the Comets and played that night, scored a goal my first game and then had a 13-year pro career at all that. It's crazy. So a lot, a lot to kind of delve in there. That's the hard. first thing I wanted to ask about is – Having your dad as a coach, what was that experience like as you're growing up, um, that dynamic of coach and dad and then like and the fact that he put so much time and effort into learning the game, understanding like how big was that for you to see that he was taking it so seriously? Well, it, so my dad's a, he's a Marine, right? He was a he was a lieutenant in, in Vietnam. And so, as you might imagine, you know, things had to go a certain way mm -hmm. and He's he's always been somebody, I think, that had a healthy level of expectation. And I think it was good for me to be around other people who were dealing with those expectations, too, because that kind of helped our relationship. You know, it, it wasn't only me that had to live up to this. And but it was it was great. You know, every weekend he's there, you know, father, son time. Well, it wasn't always easy. Right. You know, I mean, he was one of those like. He was going to yell at me a little bit more than everybody else, right, to set the standard. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think mentally and emotionally, he helped set a good base for me. And then he had the the foresight the last couple of years. He brought in a, a, a pro player to kind of come coach. That guy was Leonardo Cuellar from San Diego, who then went to Cal State L.A. and coached the Mexican women's national team. And Leo was a guy I'd always played outside. And he said, you need to play inside. Like, the way you see the game or, and whatnot. And 
it was the first time anybody ever said I was halfway decent. You know what I mean? You know, from the outside. And so my dad knew that we needed another voice or different voices and whatnot. And no, it was, it was good. And it, but it was also shocking when he kicked us out of the nest when we got to high school. He's like, I'm not coaching anymore. You've got to go find a team. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, w- that was interesting. The other thing you've mentioned, all of these names, like just from you know the coach to the ones you were playing with, what were those training sessions like? And how do you keep showing up knowing that you're like, I'm not at the level as some of these guys in this group. I'm kind of a second teamer. How do you keep battling for that? Especially when they're talking about like walk-ons and all these types of things. You're thinking, man, when am I going to get my break? Well, I, 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 different than I think a lot of kids now, right? So on the odd chance that our second team went and played that, that first team, right? You know, I looked at it like I've got to be the best here before I can think about being, in the next group, right? My parents weren't ever like, you need to be there. They never, they weren't calling the coach saying he needs to be on the first team. They're like, you need to get your, your stuff together and sort yourself out. And, and I always looked at it that way. You know, you, you, you look at those guys and, you know, we, we played a Celtic tournament. We ended up playing our first team in the final. Right. And so I'm chasing around Danny Barber and Joe Max Moore in, in the middle of the field. And I knew I wasn't those guys. You know what I mean? I'm trying. You know, I think we lost the final 5-1, but we scored a goal, right? And it was – but it, it was it was interesting being around that. But then, you know, I think a lot of the stuff my dad, my family, mom and dad gave me is like – is a little humility. You know, like I want to be the best, but I also know I'm not that guy yet. And you, I think that helped me, you know, as I went to college and was willing to put work in and then professionally – you know, I, I played with a lot of guys that were they were really entitled. You know, that kind of I'm, you know, the what is it in Ted Lawson or the Zava? There were a lot of Zavas that I outlasted because I would go to practice early and I would stay practice, stay practice late. And you know, that's just the way I was brought up. You know, I I it's almost like you don't know any better. Right. And and so yeah, I mean you go to those practices and it's like I just want to compete. And I, I, you know, I'm going to judge myself by I'm going to mark this guy and maybe I can keep him from playing. If I can win this battle, right, that's my day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and looked at it that way. What was the experience of going from a year of scoring 15 to doubling that? What, what was the difference? You talk about getting taller, but was there a confidence? Was there, what was it that kind of helped you keep, you talk about being a late bloomer. What was the, maybe something that you could point at that was like, yeah, that's why Nate became a goal scoring machine. I, I, I would say, you know, physically, it was the first time that I physically felt comfortable in my body. You know, it's almost like I had a, an awkward stage. that just lasted a long time. And to finally have grown and settled in, I started to get a little bit stronger. And then I realized, right. Imagine I'm six, three, but I've never seen myself as six, three. Right. I've always, you know, as I watch highlights, I always see myself as like that five ten guy who is trying to be technical and I could play soccer until somebody said, like, you're six foot three, act like you're six foot three. And so, you know, as I start running by guys and I start engaging physically rather than just taking a beating, start give a beating a little bit. And then what I learned technically. Right? So I'm I'm coaching those post to post camps. So for three weeks, I'm 
teaching kids how to finish. Like, these are the steps. This is what you do. And then we're demonstrating and we're doing it. You know, and it soaked in. I mean, I came back and I could always play a long ball, right? I could drive balls. But to be able to really finish and really do what I wanted to with the ball, that changed everything for me, really. The other thing I was going to ask is it sounds like you talked about the one coach telling you, you don't need to be outside, you need to go inside. And now you're talking about someone else that said, Nate, you need to be six foot three. Is there some, uh, was it nice having people? Cause it sounds like you almost kind of, I don't want to say tunnel vision, but you kept your boundaries a little bit close. And then when outside people were able to kind of open your horizons a little bit. I think, I think for sure, I, you know, in growing up in California, right. There's a lot of big personalities and I wasn't one of them. I wanted to fit in. And I think, you know, that was one of the things that maybe kept me from developing as quickly as I might have, but you're right. You know, when someone comes in and said, well, you could try this, you could try that. I mean, it even happened professionally. We had a, an assistant coach come in named Tadio Diaz who, who brought me in. He's like, look, I think you can be more. And I went from a guy who scored, I think it, my previous high profession was like 13 goals and 10 assists then I was an all pro. I scored 36 goals, 26 assists, right? And I'm in the top, top 10 in scoring and the thing. And again, it, it like, I'm it, in a weird way. I was like, just like, if you, if you water this flower, like mm-hmm. it, 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 I just bloomed every time someone just said they believed in me. It was crazy. And then what was it like to get drafted back then? Like you said, the MLS was kind of being talked about, but it hadn't really come to fruition yet how confident of a leap was that for you to go into that situation after having a really good, you know, uh, you know, college game? Well, so being a big indoor soccer fan, like I grew up with the San Diego soccer's, right? So we, I watched my heroes and all this kind of stuff. And to get drafted into a team at the time that tattoo played for uh, Dale Irvine, right? Chico Borja, we're all in Wichita, Kim Runvet. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to go play with these guys. I mean, I was overwhelmed. And then to get traded and thrown out on the field the next day and the next night. And it was almost like I was too silly to even know what I was doing. I scored a goal. We won the game, you know, and, and people were like, Oh my goodness, you're like a fish in the water. And I felt like a freshman around midterms. Because as soon as like Zorn Savick, who was the coach, started to tell me what I needed to do, then all of a sudden, like I started paying attention to everything else, and the game just was going like this. And I had I took a step back to kind of really learn a little bit. And you know, I I think one of the things that people didn't realize, like all the best players before the MLS, if they were playing domestically, they were playing indoor during the winter, and they went to that the A League, I think it was at that time in the summer. So. Tony Sane and and guys like that were all playing indoor soccer before they went off and and did that. So the level was was pretty decent, you know, as 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 you look at it. And yeah, it was after the first night, the leap. It seemed like it was like a Grand Canyon for what I needed to to do. And then what was you talk about thirteen years? playing in the in that situation what was it i mean the 10 13 years is a long time 
how does how does the league develop how did you develop how did like the how did the whole experience kind of evolve so uh in indoor wise right a, you know we had i think the league ballooned up to in 96 the year mls started up to 15 teams um a bunch of guys left the league to go and play that first year, first two years really in the MLS guys were doing both. Um, and at that, at that time, you know, we were pretty big. We had, I mean, we're talking about Brian Haynes, um, Ian Frazier, Kevin Ketters, a lot of guys that went and played in the MLS, uh, Jason Farrell, who had a, a long career in Columbus was a roommate of mine, John Lemoniatis, who, um, and, uh, Nick DeSantis, who ended up being general manager at Montreal, he was in our team. And, you know, you've got all these guys and you're, you're, you're seeing this and everybody's like, well, when are you going? When are you going? Right. Cause everybody's kind of waiting to go on, but there's only 10 teams. Right. So for a guy like myself, you know, the MLS wasn't an option. It was the A league. Right. So that became a bigger thing. And so, I went to Virginia beach in 96 and and we had a decent year. And then somehow I got to Rochester in 97. And so they had gone on that first open cup run and we're playing in a, a stadium of 15,000 people and there's a hot tub in the corner and all of a sudden Galatasaray is coming through for a, their friendly tour. And you see George Haji and these guys. And I'm like, how did Baldwin city get to here? Right. And then, it was uh, you'd go back to indoor in the winter, and in my first year, I came into a team that had won the championship. We had a bunch of injuries and were average at best. And then he rebuilt the team, and we were third in the league. And then in '96, we were 32 and eight and lost in the finals, up 2-0, lost 4-2. '97, we win the championship, and then. Again, another fire sale of guys. That's when Farrell and a bunch of guys left and went to MLS. And then in 2000, I went to Milwaukee and played outdoor and probably had my best summer uh, playing up there under Boris Susevich a little bit with those guys. And it was uh, it was interesting kind of as things would go back and forth, right? You, you I think I was more suited for outdoor you know, as a big kid, I could run. I was athletic. And I remember we played uh, Wisla Krakow came over from Poland and Tony Sane came back for a retirement game in Milwaukee. And so he remembered me from when we played indoor together. So we're playing in the midfield together thing. And you look at how his development going overseas took him to a different place than the rest of us, right, as we're playing this game. But the humility that he had, and I would say that was the other thing I took on, the humility of the guys around was always, they looked at everyone as peers, right? Tony Zani was a great, great guy. And so you go out and play and, you know, it was, I'm right into the famous Buzz Lagos who was coaching Minnesota at the time, right? So here's a guy and, you know, it's, it's just crazy. And then coming through, we had our, my wife and I had our daughter in 2001. And so I stayed home after that, didn't go play anymore. Um, I got traded in 2004 to St. Louis. Kind of the time had run out in Kansas City. I think Zorn had had enough of me. 
Um, Daryl Duran calls from St. Louis and says, you know, here you go. Um, you can do whatever you want as long as you show up on game day. Whereas I live like a life of a monk in Kansas City. He's like, if you want to have a beer before the game, have a beer before the game. I'd never done that before. I was like, oh. And we went to first place. And for the first time ever, I was player of the week, player of the month in the league. And then that was – it was like life said, okay, you're finished at 33. I stepped on a guy's foot the next week and tore my Liz Frank tendon. I had a doctor tell me, hey, you know what? You don't have to operate on that. You can play. And so I lost my arch, and they were kind of taping one in, and I had an insert. Got traded to Baltimore. I'm like, I can't. I can't run. I'm trying. And then ended up having surgery after the season, and that was the end. I had seven pins put in my foot. And uh, at that time I was in Baltimore, I had reached out to uh, Kimball Levitt, who was coaching a Olathe Rush or running the Olathe Rush. And I was like, hey, I'm going to be done playing. Can I coach some teams? And he's like, yeah, you can come back and coach. And so – I, as soon as I was done, I was at tryouts on crutches and then my wife had our son and I'm coaching my college girls and five club teams on crutches after Liz Frank surgery, trying to do all that. And, uh, you know, that kind of settled it, settled down, but then I got an opportunity to move to a different club. I got asked, my daughter was playing rec soccer, happened to be a board member for a a team in Shawnee, Kansas. He's like, Hey, will you be our coaching director? I'm like, um, I don't have time. I'm, I'm doing all this. He's like, we don't want you to coach. Just be our director. So I tell Rush, okay, I'm, thank you. I'm not taking any teams. I'm not that guy. I'm not here to do that. I'm going to go help lead this club. Um, worked with a guy from challenger named Alan Jones. We put together a club and in two years we were 4,000 kids, 3000 rec, a thousand competitive. We were matched with uh, the Blue Valley Soccer Club out here that's pretty big. We were the second biggest club out here in Kansas, and we're having some success. And then I started coaching the men at Baker, too. So I was the men's and women's coach from 2008 to 2013, and I was trying to help run the boys' side of this club with Alan. And I, I think I hit a sweet spot in coaching between the, during those five years. Our men went to Sweet 16, Final Four, Sweet 16. Our women went to the Final Four, Final Eight, Sweet 16. And it, like the, the best year, and I have to say his name out loud, Davey Phillips and I, uh, he's at Washburn now. Uh, we coached Final Four teams back-to-back -back years, and our women were in the Final Eight, and our men were playing in the Final Eight on the same day in different parts of Alabama. And our women lost in penalty kicks and our men won. But to finish a year with two top 10 teams, we thought uh, we have done a pretty decent job. We've gotten the right kids. Um, our women's team had four doctors in the back line for future doctors. <laughs> and our, our men's team's GPA was like 3.3 something. I mean, we had 12 scholar athletes. It was more than any other team in the final four. So I was like, well, you can do it with domestic kids. They were all from Olathe. We had a couple internationals. And, yeah, and then after that, it was it was the chase, right? Um, I guess the the other thing are we have uh, – we've had a couple of really good players. 
but our I think our the best the best two we coached was a young man named Matt Germain who's still playing um, indoor um, out west, and he was on the U.S. Um, five aside team, and then Amir Didik, who played for us, and then was the Sporting two defender of the year, and then signed with Sporting KC, played in the Champions League with them, and is now at Pacific FC in Canada. And actually scored a goal for the Canadian first team. So it was like, you know what, as a coach, like to, to coach a player that really nobody else wanted. We've Ross Ongaro from who had coached me in the all-star team indoor, said I got a guy, flew to Edmonton, meet Amir and his family, offered him a scholarship. They said yes that day, and that he turned into, you know an international player was the dream as a coach, right? To help somebody do that. And then this weekend our probably our, our most successful women's player, second team all American transfer from a division one school is now um, the second in social media for the NFL. She's in town here in Kansas city for the draft. And so, yeah, Jordan Dolbin is her name. And so getting connected with Joe around the draft, she goes to every super bowl and she's all over the place. You know, you feel like you've you've helped some young people at least achieve their dreams, right? Not because of me, but I, I help you know push the rock down the road because they're pretty special people. And you know, along that time, my wife has put up with me. We've got two great kids. My daughter's about to graduate from college this weekend. My son from high school. You know, uh, it's it's been a pretty pretty fun ride. That was one of the things I was going to ask. What was it like when you're bouncing from city to city and your wife's coming along and then you've got one young one and then you've got a second? Uh, how important was she in terms of supporting you through each of these steps? And even that time when you realized, look, man, my foot is really, really bad. I think this might be the end. What was it like having those conversations of, hey, we're going to have to move again? Um, and then even that year where you took off to spend time with your daughter. So, well, here, there you go. Right. Cause I'm, I gotta get better at storytelling. Like Mrs. Hauser didn't, didn't go with me when I left town. So if I went to Virginia beach, she stayed here cause she had a job and she's like, that's four months. I'm not leaving a job for that. So she's always been like the rock mm -hmm. of, Hey, you know what? I'm the adult here. And so, <laughs> Uh, our daughter was born after Milwaukee, so she never had to move. But then when I went to Baltimore, it was only three months. And so they stayed here. That was probably the hardest time to be away from my three-year-old, you know, to to finish out. Because when you get traded, right, you never really – you're not really prepared for that. And I wasn't you – know, compensation has changed a little bit between back then and now. And so, like, I had to go to continue to make money until I could get things sorted out to be back. And um, I, I think our relationship, she and I, we got to a point where we could be comfortable not having to be in the same room all the time. But I think when I stopped playing, you know, we've made sure we've never – we haven't been apart since then, you know, for, for each other, but also for kids. And, you know, you've got to be a present you know, when you're, when you're part of a family, in my opinion. The other thing that I've been really impressed with is how you can rattle off all of these names, 
the stories of people you played with, you coached with in all the different spots along the way, how important have been like the relationships off? You talked about how they treated you as peers and how the hum- humility of, of some of the players and what have you, how important has it been to not only play soccer, but to actually experience the whole kind of relationship? I, you know, I, people are everything, right. You know, I, I think that's, that's the part I think fans may not understand is that there is a family inside the game. And while we are all fighting desperately for our jobs daily, we have to believe in each other and we, and we have to get to know each other. And I I think there's a trust you give your teammates and and the people that you come and even the people you compete against. Right. Cause you know, in any tackle, you could break somebody's leg. But at the end of the day, there's that the honor amongst thieves, you know, not to, not to injure each other, but each, if you, if you're open and, and, and maybe I was too nice or too open to folks, but you know, the way I was raised, it wasn't, you know, I'm not a cutthroat person. I'm, I, I want to give people opportunities. I think that's why I've been successful as a coach because it's about the person, but you know, all these people who've had a part in my life, you know, have helped make me who I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm renowned around here, I think for movie quotes, right? Like I think half everything I say, Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi said, or Yoda said, or, you know, we're talking about a few good men or, you know, all the TBS movies that were on in the middle of the day that nobody else got to watch. I quote those in between gym time and whatnot, but it's, it's, it's all relationship based. And, you know, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks, you know, where do you go after and, and, and why do you, why do a lot of guys suffer when you, you lose the locker room? Right. I mean, to explain to somebody like, do you miss playing? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I miss playing, but I miss 5v2 before practice. I miss the locker room talk. I mean, I'll give you a, a funny story. We, we used to play 5v2, and it's really like 12 versus 2 around the penalty area. And we had a guy named Warren Westcote who had a big nose, right? And then we have a guy named Eloy Salgado that was bald. And so they used to make fun of each other every day. So one day, Eloy Salgado tapes a cone to his face, like that's Warren's nose. And Warren tapes a flat disc to his head, like that's Eloy's haircut. And they they call themselves I mean, Nostradamus and Balderrama, right? And so, so like, like, and so Warren is the MVP of the championship series, and like everybody's jumping on him, calling him Balderrama. And Eloy scores a goal, and like everybody's jumping. Up. It's like Nostradamus did it again. Like you can't, you can't make that up. And I mean, I don't even know, to be fair, if you can even do that kind of stuff anymore. People may lose their mind, but that those moments brought us so close together that, you know, I, I think that's why when you say it's all of those people that took a moment somewhere and, and gave me a piece of them of themselves that, you know, I, I want to mention because it, it, they've done so much. The other thing you mentioned with Baker was having success and then use the word chasing. 
how do you keep chasing that next level? Like you made it to the sweet 16. We got to go to the late eight. We get to the final four. We get both teams there at the same weekend, same day. How do you keep pushing um, even though you're at such a high level? Well, I, I think to be fair, I mean, that's, you don't know any better. I think that's the only way to do it. You know, I, I think if you're with one team, you know, I, I, my assistant took over the women in 2014 and I was just coaching the men and almost reignited the fire. But when you don't know any better, you can chase it. But when you step away from it, you realize you're burning the candle at not both ends, three ends, right? Because you have 36 men in our program and 28 women in our program that you have to give attention to. I mean, they are all different individuals having different experiences excuse me, in the classroom, you know, with their families, you know, on the field. And you're just, it's emotionally such a give, right? And when you love, you give, you know, those are, those are, those are students and and people that you, 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 you're happy to do that for. But afterward, you, you look back and I mean, I've, I've found myself in the year, the year that we were great, right? Doing of all things, crying on the way to to work because i'm so happy and i'm so tired to go back we've just won two games on the road road trip we sang on the bus on the way back i get home at two in the morning and i'm driving back to work at 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 9 30 or 10 o'clock and i hear a song that they were singing and i get all emotional and i'm you're just like you look back and you're just like how did how did i exist you know like it, it but when you it took the one team, and again, I think it was we were able to push and build again 2018, 19. I would say a better coach probably would have won a national championship for Baker in 2015 and 19 with the teams we had. We lost uh in overtime in the sweet 16 both those years. And the last time we outshot the team 28 to 8, 20 to 2 on goal, lost two to one. The guy, a kid slips with two minutes left in overtime, right? And you look back and you're like, could somebody else have done a better job? Because the talent we had on the field, those guys were unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think it was there that I started to realize, you know what, maybe my vision of how the game goes, maybe this is as far as it gets. You know, you, you never want to admit that to yourself, right? You know, I – so uh, at Lindsey Wilson, Coach Ray, who was there and won national championships and he's in the Hall of Fame, you know, you, you talk to guys like that and, you know, he'll say, oh, you got to get lucky. <laughs> you know, or Chris Crank, who was at Hastings and won national championship. Well, you know, it's got to find your way. You got to believe. And I don't, I don't want to believe it's all luck. I think those, those men did something pretty meaningful and special. And it was like, you know what? I think my job in this story was to take the program from not having been there to there. And now it's in build a field and, and get a belonging and say, okay, somebody else is ready for the next, the next step. Super, super hard. But, you know, as I look at where I am now in life, right. Being an athletic director, I think I was able to share that passion with the different coaches. Now I walk into a basketball coach's office, a softball coach's office, even a football coach's office. And say, you know what? 
how are we recruiting? What are we after? You know, what are our standards? What do we believe in? And helping grow coaches that way across sports. And, you know, because I'm back here at Baker, you know, now that passion with a, an advancement team, right? Like, hey, you know what? How do we solve the problem? And I, and I, I would say all those stories help me get from a lot of people think about I and you probably I think I've heard this a thousand times. I hate losing more than I love winning. And I'm going to tell you, I believe something that is a little more nuanced and maybe the opposite. I will risk losing to win. And I wanted to give that to everybody I've ever worked with, whether it's a student, uh, assistant coach or anyone like if you just spend your days holding on and not trying to lose rather than, you know what, I want to risk and I want to win and you know what I'm going to learn like that. And, and I, and I hope that's what people take from any experience with me other than a little sarcasm and some bad stories of <laughs> man, you, you, if, if you don't risk you in, and, and that would be the thing, you know, to go back to those people that if I had risked instead of waiting for someone to tell me something, Right. I might have even been halfway decent. Right. And, and, and had it even more experiences. Right. But so trying to give that to people, you know, or at least put that bug in their mind. That's what I try. The one thing we started out with was talking about dad and mom driving by a soccer field and then it's turned into this. How have they enjoyed watching your playing career take off? And then now to go from not only uh, coaching at different levels, but to also now be in a position where you can make a huge impact at the college level for the entire university, not just the athletics, but also all of the student body. Uh, so my, my mom was, my mom passed away five years ago. Um, she had MS and, she was an unbelievable fan. I remember she used to drive the hour and a half when I played in North Huntington Beach. She drove me, you know, twice a week to go do that and would come to games when we got to play indoor in San Diego. I got to go play professionally there. And then in 2000, in Milwaukee, we played outdoor. Like it was to see her smile and, and to see to see that, to do that in front of her was you know, it, it, it was the, the most thank you. The biggest thank you I could give her was to say, like, you didn't waste your time. You know, like, it's, this just paid off. And my dad has moved out here to be grandpa. And when he's come to indoor games in the end, and I had like half a comeback in 2008 when the new Comet started. And, you know, he watched, he's like, he looked at me and he was like, you know, you know, old you might have been pretty good here. He's like, but he's like, this isn't it anymore. I'm like, I don't need that level of honesty, dad. <laughs> and then um, he's he used to come to all of the college games that I coached. He'd drive to away games. He was in Alabama for national terms. And, you know, I, I would, my assistant coach would see me shaking my head. He's like, did your dad just send you his ideas? I'm like, oh yeah. And so he, every month or so he would, he'd write down what he saw, who he thought, who he liked and whatnot. And then we'd have to have a call and I'd say, yes, this player, this is why, you know, and 
it, it was a good exercise for me to know that, you know, there was a reason behind what we were doing and that someone was actually paying attention. And, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a riot. And he's like, I thought maybe you thought of that, <laughs> but having, having him as a partner, you know, the last, uh, the last, you know, 10 years out here has been, you, you can't give that back. You know, having that full circle father son time has, has been great. So here you are sitting at VP of advancement and assistant coaching. What does the next three, five years look for Nate Hauser? What are your plans? Uh, do you keep coaching or do you now maybe take a bigger step back and just focus on uh, the VP? So uh, part of my role as advancement is just advancing the university. And I had an idea probably six years ago when I first became the AD, I walked into our provost's office and I said, I've got every coaching license you could have. I said, you know, what do these mean in terms of academics? Like, is this the equivalent of a master's, a PhD? I mean, look at my experience. And the provost looked at me like, it doesn't mean anything. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I was on an all-star team. Like, like I'm, I'm halfway decent at this thing. Nothing. And so, at that point, my passion was I want to find a way to turn coaching licenses and give them academic value. And so hopefully I'm not going to not going to out this before the horse, but the horse for the cart. But I've been banging the drum with um, U.S. youth, um, U.S. soccer, U.S.L. We've talked to a couple of MLS franchises about a program here at Baker, you know, not a sale. This is just what I'm doing of how do we produce an undergraduate degree around coaching that, in, that includes a coaching license for non-traditional students who don't want to right? for all those Academy kids that aren't going to college. Mm -hmm. How do we say, Hey, take these classes because you could finish with your B license. If you get through this to go to former professional players who, you know, I don't want them I had a degree and I still ended up coaching five teams for a couple of years until I got my feet. I don't want that for players. I want them to have their MBA and I want them to be able to go to marketing. If you're an MLS team and become part of the marketing team or the data analytics team or in management, like, do you know how to be a GM and, and manage, you know, a, a professional budget and have your license at the same time to stay in the game. And so U.S. Soccer has worked with us. Uh, we're piloting a program with D licenses in the state of Kansas right now that'll be, they're going to work together. And so everybody who goes through this course, this first course in Kansas is going to come out with a D license that is going to be three credits of college. Yeah, college, college, three college credits in your D license. And I, I, my hope is to, to go all the way up right? But we're piloting, we're seeing what works. It's all the, the, the coursework is all online, but it, you know, I have my MBA, so I'm going to get to teach the, the coach, the course, and I'm going to work with the on-field in, I mean, ideally I, I would love to at some point be able to be a, an A licensed instructor myself with, you know, if, if that ever was a possibility and finish my ED, you know, become Dr. Hauser and, be able to do that and, and be somebody that moves the needle for the game and education in a way that players, you know, and, and even volunteers, coaches, referees 
can come out of it and have some educational value added, you know, to the significance of what they've done. So that is an amazing idea. This chat has been awesome and that's a perfect way to shut this thing down this is karen with coaches corner chats with nate hauser and i'm out peace what a great chat thanks for checking it out if you haven't done so already Follow us on Twitter at Coaches Let's Chat. Hit that subscribe button. And once again, if you get a chance, drop a review. It's super, super helpful for growing the podcast. Have a good one. Peace.